0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: And welcome to Neil Thompson Speaks, where we talk to people who broke free of the corporate world shackles to start their own business. I'm your host, Neil Thompson, official corporate shackle breaker. You can find this podcast on my website, neiltompsonspeaks.com. You can also find it on iTunes First Picture. Please subscribe and share. You know, I've listened to a number of other podcasts over my lifetime, and I've always noticed that during the intro music, they usually introduce the podcast, then I just can't do it. That, that theme music I have, it's so funky. I just have to let it play through. Initially, I, I almost had it even longer than it currently is. I had to really fight to shorten it to what it is now. I've been told to make it shorter, but I just can't do it. It just, just sounds too good. Anyway, <laughs> let's get back to the show. Entrepreneur, author, TED speaker, Damon Brown is all these things and more. But all of these titles stem from Damon's main mission to help his clients get clear on their message to themselves and their desired audiences. I'm interested in chatting with Damon about his many endeavors, including his latest book, *The Bike-Sized Entrepreneur*, his biggest accomplishment, and his biggest failure. Let's—it's bound to be an informative 30 minutes. Let's bring him in now. Damon Brown, welcome to Neil Thompson Speaks.
0: Hi there. I, I was hoping you'd let like play a little bit longer, but uh, that wasn't <laughs> going to happen this time. It's hot,
1: right? I'm telling you. It's it's a great
0: (laughs) beat. Yeah, it sounds like, um, I I used to write about hip-hop, I've been a big fan, and it sounds like a Method Man beat from, say, 1995, 96. So, yeah, it's a very distinctive beat. It reminds me a lot of uh, my earlier years.
1: Let me tell you something about my my, my musical, well, uh, my my musical likes, David. You know, there's there's music that, that happens now, you know, in 2017, I know very little, if if nothing, about it. I still listen to, to 90s hip-hop every day. So I, I'm still there. I'm in the time warp. I, I don't think I'm leaving anytime soon.
0: Yeah, it was a beautiful era. And, I mean, I could talk about that for hours, but that's that was uh, one of the golden eras of hip-hop. So really, we're really lucky that we are around at that time. Yeah.
1: You got it. You know it. So the first question I have
0: for you, Damon,
1: you're a, Obviously, you, you work for yourself now, but what was the last employee
0: job you had? <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm not usually thrown for questions, but that threw me. Um, I've been on the staff as an in-house consultant type of thing, uh, so officially getting, you know, W-2s, taxes taken out and all that. Um, so that's happened a few times, but that's not much different than some of the consulting I do. That's 1099. Um, the last time I was actually on a payroll payroll, um, I'd say I was 21 and I was, um, managing editor of a small magazine, a business magazine back in Michigan where I had my, my late teenage years. And I I think that was the last time. And, I'm I'm well past that. I'll, I'll leave it at that. If <laughs> if I recognize '90s hip hop, I'm I'm well past 21. So, so that was a, yeah, that was a very long time ago. Good question. I I never really thought about that. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, a lot of the people that are thinking of, of going to business for themselves before that, they were employees someplace, and they kind of have to get right. past that. I guess that roadblock in their mind of maybe I can make it on my own as opposed to being an employee. So I'm always curious as to, you know, people's last job, but obviously, well, since it was back when you were 21 years old, you were this managing editor, I guess since then, you've you never been on a payroll payroll, so what really
0: motivated you to go into business for yourself? Well, interesting thing happened, um, I had two degrees in journalism, so I love writing and communication, and at the time, I was really focused, um, which we can talk about more later, but I was I was of the mindset of really loving communication, like traditional writing, um, print, because print was a big deal back then, um, and things of that nature. And then another part of me really liked technology. And I'm a huge video game guy, particularly when I was younger, when I had more time. <laughs> now I have a family, so it's a little bit different. Uh, but when I was younger, mm-hmm. I spent, I'd spend hours uh, playing video games. I made video games. And that stuff ended up coming in handy when I started making apps nowadays, but stuff like that. And it really fell into two different camps. And so it's hard to remember, but technology and journalism or writing, communication, they weren't always connected. And so for me, literally half of my social group were people who could recite Shakespeare and they read All the President's Men, you know, the classic book about Watergate from the 70s. And they could, um, they could cite the latest news stories that were happening. So really into art and creativity and getting to the truth of things, interviewing people, things of that, that nature. And then I had another group who were the techies. And they were people who were engineering students. There were people who knew how to, how to solder... Uh, Solder things and put things together with their hands. People like myself who who understood different programming languages and just did it for fun. And so for me, it was it was always two different worlds I was I was in. I was at in an era where the traditional publications were very traditional. So most publications did not have a website. And so what was deep about that is that I didn't really know what my identity was going to be. And there was a lot of pressure, particularly from counselors and stuff like that, to kind of choose a direction. And so what ended up happening to me is that I didn't really have much of a choice. I had to choose my own path because there weren't really people before me who said, you can be into technology and you can be into communication. Because there were very, very much two different things. And so what happened was I ended up focusing on journalism because that was a little bit more palatable. But then whatever I studied – uh, computers end up being either a subset of it, quite literally, like a minor, or end up being something I study on my own, and all my journalism was geared towards that. And so when I went to undergrad, I went to undergrad at Oakland University, which is right outside of Detroit. Like I said, I had my teenage years there and went up to Detroit for school, really good journalism program, and I minored in computing. And what that meant is I ended up becoming the featured editor of the, the popular newspaper, and we ended up having a, up having a good influence um, in the greater Detroit area, which was great with the stories we had. But then I'd stay up all night programming my own video games. And that was how I ended up learning, sounds really old, but learning Fortran and C++ and COBOL and a lot of these languages, aside from C++, that were kind of going out of fashion at the time, but it taught me to, to think Uh, Logically. And then the same thing happened at Northwestern where I ended up getting my master's in magazine publishing. It was an intense year-long program and, and very well regarded. But my subset ended up being economics, and the economics had to do with globalization, and the globalization part had to do with how technology was changing our world. And so taking that and running with it. And the very, very easiest way to explain it as far as how I got on this particular path was I had two job opportunities, and uh, one of them was right right in my alley as far as helping run a video game magazine. And at the time, that was one of the hottest things to do. And both of the job offers fell through. The second one fell through on the day of graduation. And so both of the jobs were remote. So I would already put down the down payment for my place in Chicago, because remember I was in Northwestern, I already put a down payment for my place in Chicago, you know, the first and the last month's rent, that type of thing, committed for a year. And then I came home with my degree on the train and it had no idea what I was going to do because suddenly I didn't have a job. And so I, it was Labor Day weekend. I remember, and I remember sitting on my Ikea couch and I, (laughs) when I look back, I remember just sitting there, not moving, staring at the wall for like three days because it was a three day weekend, sitting there for three days. And on Monday, I was like, you know what? I've written for some small publications. I have a degree from, at the time, the, the best journalism school in the country as far as the ranking. And, you know, with Northwestern, and I was like, you know what? don't I approach some of the major publications, and I'll go from there. And I can do the freelancing thing. Two months later, Playboy did not get back to me. Smithsonian did not get back to me. <laughs> Essence did not get back to me. And rent was due. <laughs> so I ended up taking <laughs> a temp. Yeah, right? And it was at a local organization. And I was at the organization working as administrative assistant. My background is journalism, so I can write, you know, I can type 70 words per minute, so I can do that. And I'm working with them, and I said, if I take this position, again, a temporary thing, then I need to make it clear that this is to help make ends meet, to make connections, and this is, again, this is very temporary, and I will I am, and I always will be a journalist. That's who I am, regardless of the position I have. And so I happened to be in the copy room making copies for my supervisor, and it was a, a, a random woman that came in, and she was like, hey, how are you? And I was like, fine, how are you? And she said her name, and I was like, great, I'm, I'm Damon, and I'm a journalist. You know, and I was like, but for right now I'm working with, with uh, so-and-so, you know, and helping her out with her communications. And she said, really? And come to find out the woman that came in was in charge of the trade publication of this of this organization. And they paid really well. And that's how everything started. Wow.
1: <laughs> that's, that's quite a story. You know, some people that's might my have quickest said, nutshell, but, you know what some people might have said you know these two jobs fell through you have this degree and then you kind of have to humble yourself by taking this admin job at at this organization but, but look what what happens it just goes to show you never know what's, what's around the corner
0: yeah I agree 100% I think that's the biggest lesson and also knowing that your career is going to be separate than the jobs you have and so if you say that you're an artist, but you make a living as janitor, those are two separate things. One of the examples I just heard recently, which I always forget about because I'm a fan of his, but um, Albert Einstein works at a patent office in, I believe, Switzerland. Oh, I know, yeah. I know it was a Swiss, a Swiss patent uh, office. Austria. I can't remember if it was in Switzerland. Austria, Austria. Thank you. In Austria. Right, and that makes sense because they're closest to Switzerland. But right, so in Austria, that was his day job. And he, of course, was able to quit his job and, and do other things later. But a lot of the foundation of the work that he did and some of those, those early groundbreaking papers that he had submitted to the journals of time and, and things like that, that was all while he had a day job. I mean, and so that kind of leads to, you know, the series, the book series I've just done, The Bite Size Entrepreneur, where it's really about not embracing the limitations that you have but embracing the space that you still have left. And those limitations or challenges could be that physically you can only do so much, or you have to have a day job and you can only work at night. Or in my case, I have two young children. And so that ended up setting up some challenges when I first started getting into entrepreneurship, which was after I became a father. Um, And so basically saying embrace those things and work with them, and as was the case with with my first big break, if I wasn't humble, like you said, enough to, to take a temp job and say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm making ends meet. Let me go and make this work. It's okay. And let me make it clear that I'm a writer. If I didn't take that approach to it, then we might not be speaking now, you know?
1: No, I, I, I definitely know. So I did a bit of, of, of research about you David. and you, you've done quite quite a bit you mentioned the, the books that you've done the the size entrepreneur you a, you're a TED talk uh, speaker you're a contributor at Inc magazine uh, I get well based on the answer you just gave it kind of it seems like luck I wouldn't even say luck follows you but you know you kind of make your own luck but how did, how did these all these these um, opportunities come about were you things that you were looking for or did they just kind of fall
0: into your lap um, more of the latter. Um, so actually, I'd say a little bit of both. That's a tough question. Um, I think the best way to describe it is to know who you are. And that's an axiom that, you know, that people have been saying since since Greek times, you know, know thyself. But what it means from someone who's going to be a freelancer, someone who's going to be a consultant, someone who's going to make their own path, you're not going to know what your next step is going to be unless you actually think about where you want to end up. And so my big thing up until recently has been explaining to people how technology connects us. And the big pushback for my generation has been people saying technology is keeping us separate uh, keep technology is disconnecting us. Everyone's on their phone all the time, etc. There's a huge truth to that. I did my book with Ted Books, Our Virtual Shadow, Why We're Obsessed with Documenting Our Lives Online. That was a lot of stuff that I discussed in the book. One of the things that I've been doing as far as with the different mediums I work with as a journalist, as a public speaker, as an entrepreneur, is to show how we can get connected together using technology. So one of them just can't be true. It can't be that technology separates us. It can't, that just can't be the end of the story. It's easy to kind of run with that and say technology is the enemy. And what was funny was that for my, my biggest company, Cuddler, it allowed people to connect over the phone with other people nearby for a hug. And it ended up being this personification of what I've been trying to do on these other mediums. It's basically saying, hey, we feel disconnected. Why don't we use this technology to actually connect us even more? And we ended up having um, a couple hundred thousand to a, a quarter million users relatively quickly. Um, and so it, evidently it, it hit something. And that was based a lot on the research that I'd done over the years, now, even not, though it wasn't on purpose. But that's an excellent example where up until, say, five years ago, I had no interest in being an entrepreneur. And so it's not a matter – for me, it's not a matter of saying – okay, one day I'm going to be president of the United States. For me, it's rather saying one day I'm going to move the cultural needle. People understand that technology connects us as much as it does separate us. It really depends on how we use it. And if that ends up becoming my main focus, then it doesn't matter if I'm writing it doesn't matter if I'm talking on a podcast like I am with you. doesn't matter if I become an entrepreneur. doesn't matter if I go to corporate worlds. Like, it doesn't matter. I still have this agenda, this main thing. And I think what happens is that even though I have a breadth of things that I've done, I would argue that they all fit within that same message and that same idea. And so it makes it really easy to say no. And so for as many things that I have on my resume and the the wonderful things that you mentioned, there are probably three or four times as many things that I just said no to or I let go. Some of those were my own ideas. And I was like, you know what? This doesn't fit into the world that I'm trying to create. So I got to let it go or maybe I'll give it to a colleague of mine and they can run with it. And so understanding that not everything is you, one of the things that I love to say is that it's not just what you do, but it's what you don't do. It's not a matter of knowing who you are, but also knowing who you're not. And there's certain things that I am not. Um, My main goal uh, career-wise and what what I would consider a success at the end of my career, whenever that is, is for someone to be able to get a service, look at a quote, look at anything that I've done, and be able to say, that's definitely Damon. Or to look at something and say, that is not Damon. That's no, you, you know, and I think if you focus on that, right? And I think if you focus on that, then making those decisions comes easier. And to I'm taking my long way around the barn for this, but to get to the original <laughs> question, to get to the original question, um, I think that makes it easier for other people to give you opportunities too. And so when people reach out for an opportunity in regards to me, they'll go ahead and say hey, I heard about this and This sounded amazing. Maybe you'd be interested in this. And it could be a collaboration. It could be a job. It could be whatever. And so people are coming to me now. But if I wasn't clear as far as what my intention is and what mark I want to make on the world, then I can't even help other people help me because they're not going to know who I am. And so it's not a matter of just knowing who you are so that you can, you know, like the first half of your, your answer, so that you can move your agenda forward and go after cool opportunities, but also the higher that vibration and the clearer it is, the more other people are going to be able to support you too.
1: You know, that's, that's really interesting that you say that I've, I've spoken to a number of people since I've gone, started going down this whole entrepreneurship journey and, and um, one of the, the main themes that I get is finding the niche. And it's kind of like you once you find that niche, you find kind of like your your signature. Basically, you basically find your signature. People, just like you said, they they see something, they know it's you as opposed to somebody else. So I think you're right. It's really important to find that kind of that niche, find that signature, find what people know you for. It's very important if you're just starting off as an entrepreneur. Uh, another question that I had though, Damon, so you know there are people out there. They're at their maybe just like I, Albert Einstein. They're working in the patent office. They're at their desk. They really wanted to leave their jobs. They're bored. They wanted to start their own thing. But it's it's a fear that like, that takes over them whenever they, that that thought comes you know comes into their mind. The fear of leaving a, a job. You know fear of not having that steady income coming in every other week. Did you deal? Do you do you ever deal with that fear? And, and I'm guessing. Uh, if you do, then how do you get past it?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I have a family, so yeah, I, I look at that fear every day. Before I had a family, I was looking at that fear because um, I had a, like I said, I was living in Chicago, and then I lived down south in New Orleans for a spell, and then I've been in, here in California for uh, well over a decade. And for a period of time, um, we lived in San Francisco. And so, if you have any idea as far as, like, the rent or even just
1: buying yeah. our food
0: in San Francisco, we lived there for a number <laughs> of years. And so, you know, and there were some lean times. And so even without the family, that was before we had a family, so even without the family, you know, that's definitely something that, that is a regular occurrence. I think I think there's two things to, to look at. Um, the first thing is to understand that if you're doing the work, then every single thing you do is temporary. So if you're doing the work, every single thing you do is temporary. And so every time I've had a really lean year, the following year ends up being a ridiculous amount of riches. Like it's – and I've been a full-time freelancer and consultant and so forth for, for a long time, let's just say enough years to notice the cycle. And it's like <laughs> it, it always happens like that. And there's, I have a bunch of theories behind that, which I won't, won't bore you with, but there is a natural cycle to it. It's just like the stock market where if you have a down year or a downturn, then there ends up being a, you know, um, a bullish year the next year. Like, it, that's just the way that it works. If you look at any type, of, any type of thing that's based on economy and market, just the way it works. You know, so that's number one. Keep your, keep your head in the game and realize that whatever's happening is going to stop. That also means the reverse, too, where if you have a bevy of things coming on and a lot of work or a ton of clients or whatever your particular thing is, chances are, there's going to be a downturn, too. Uh, the, um, the speaker, Jim Rome, it's R-O-H-M. He's actually a mentor of Tony Robbins and all these major guys now, uh, but I just started getting into him. And one of my one of my favorite quotes from him is, you know, during the summer, prepare for the winter. During the winter, know that summer's coming. And in other words, you have to keep it level. So whatever work you do, you have to do it with the understanding that the outcome isn't always going to be exactly what you want, but it will be cyclical. And whatever you're dealing with, you're going to be dealing with something different later. That could be good or bad or whatever judgment you want to put on it, but it's always going to be a cycle. Um, I'd say the second part, is knowing that you don't have to, you don't have to, to bet the bank. Um, I was born in Atlantic City, New Jersey, so I love like gambling ideas and, uh, and, uh, and uh, the whole gambling culture. I am not a big gambler myself at all, um, but I love the ideas behind it. And people often think when it comes to entrepreneurship that they have to bet the bank. They have to go all in, they have to push up the chips, and all those things. That's not true. I mean, that's one of the things I emphasize in the Bite Size Entrepreneur book series is that you can do it piecemeal. You can do it small. Uh, one of the things that I always advocate is to carve out a particular time of the day where you focus on your side hustle. So it could be from to 545 every evening. And it could be while you're on the train. It could be while you're on your commute. Not using your hands, of course, but at least but maybe talking to yourself as you're driving. Um, it could be while you're waiting for your kid to get out of school and you have a 15-minute break. It could be during your lunch hour. And just carving out 15 minutes creates a sense of mindfulness. Um, just like people who meditate do it every single morning. People who go to the gym regularly, they go at the same time, every morning, right? It's just Mm -hmm. like everything else, right? And so what you end up doing is transitioning, and this is not my idea, but, but it's definitely been something that's been passed on for the ages. You end up transitioning something that's being forced to something that becomes a habit. And when you turn something into a habit, then you start to train your brain, your emotional state, your mindset, all that into getting into a particular groove quickly, so, when I worked on Cuddler, or I'm sorry, when I worked on So quotable, which actually was my first app, and that's what kicked off entrepreneurship for me, so quotable um, um, allows you to if you're having a good conversation, you can take a little snippet from what someone else said and share it on social networks. really simple idea, and of course, it was a simple idea. It took a long time for me since I didn't have the entrepreneurship background, and that happened. Um, and it went to full force at the same time that I became a father, and so I'm a stay-at-home dad. And so my wife had just went back to work when I realized that my tech team, who was helping me out, was so quotable, wasn't going to be able to help me. And so suddenly, mm-hmm. I had already announced I was already connected to TED. So TED knew about the app. It was featured in the book that I had written with TED the year before. Everything was lined up. And at the last minute, the tech team fell apart. And so suddenly, I had my three-month-old, and I wanted to be fully present for him. And then I had this project that I wanted to work on that I needed to get out because I promised it to consumers. And so what ended up happening, the very short version, is I started getting up at 3.15 every morning. And so from 3.15 to 6 a.m., which is when my son would wake up, I would work. And that would include journalism work and other stuff I would use to do to, you know, bring money in, but also included So Quotable. During that period of time, four months, I redesigned the app. I learned to program the Apple Code, Apple, uh, code Cocoa Touch. And I got out the beta just in time for my first TED Talk. And it's not because I'm special. It's not because I'm particularly inclined. But number one, I was driven. And number two, I did it every single morning. I took weekends off just for my own sanity and to spend time with my family. But Monday through Friday, 3.15, Damon's alarm's going off. He might take a shower, but he's definitely going to be programmed. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm going to keep it 100% real with you and and with your audience. And so because of that, I was able to learn this programming language extremely fast because I did it every single day. And so that's what I would offer to people who are saying, wow, I got my full-time job or I don't want to leave it and I'm overwhelmed. Just take a little bite. If if you're serious about it and you really care about it, if you want to see this happen, dedicate a little piece of every single day. Instead of watching an episode of your favorite program, binge watch it later and just say for those 22 minutes, it's 22 minutes, you know, without commercials. For those 22 minutes of my half-an-hour show, instead, I'm going to work on my side hustle every day.
1: Hey, what's that?
0: Hour that, and a half a, you know, a week?
1: Crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right? That's, that's wow. six, yeah. to eight hours a month. And what's going to happen is that you're going to want to dedicate more time to it. And you're going to realize where all the fat is in your schedule. And that's one of the blessings of me becoming an entrepreneur. Number one, being older, being an older entrepreneur. And number two, having a living, breathing obligation, a loving, late living, breathing obligation that was waiting for me as soon as he was ready. And right. so that meant I could not waste an ounce of time. And so what I always tell people is that I had been a full-time freelancer and consultant for at least a decade before I started entrepreneurship. And I always tell people, I was, I was more, I've gotten more done in the past four years that I've been a parent and entrepreneur than I have in all the previous years combined, like easily. The TED Talks, the multiple looks that I've done, um, the, the speaking engagements and stuff like that, like that, that wasn't happening before, you know, and so it forced me to become more efficient. And I think if you don't have those particular boundaries within your life, like a full-time job or whatever – then I think it's good to set up false boundaries and say, I'm going to only work for this period of time every day. And that period of time, as Cal Newport puts it, that period of time becomes your deep work when you're focused. And if you're focused, you're going to get a lot more done than people who have all day to to mess around. Yeah, definitely. Man,
1: I I still can't get over you waking up 3.15 and not having to shower all the time. You you probably (laughs) funkier than my theme music. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I mean, if you talk, I don't know if you have kids, but if you if you talk to, to any any new parents, then, you know, there, there's going to be times where you're going to be funky. And it's just just the way that it works because you have this, list, again, it's this living, breathing thing that crying, you're going to take 20 minutes to shower? No, you can't. You got stuff to do. Right. So, you yeah. know, it works out. You figure out how to make sacrifices. Luckily, I shower every day now, but I, I'm, <laughs> right, I'm a, right, you right. know. I, I, have, I have my second child now, and we know what we're doing now, so it's a little bit easier. Just like entrepreneurship. Nice. You know, my first my <laughs> first business was so quotable, and it was a little bit of a hit, and then Cuddler did well enough to get acquired. So, you know, the second time around is always easier, and I think you have to keep that in mind, too, where you're always going to be learning, and it's going to get easier a, as time passes, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, Damon, this has been a very this has been a great thirty minutes. I, I'm, I'm I'm always surprised by how quickly it goes by. How can people find you?
0: Sure. So um, on all the major social networks, pretty much, you can find me at Brown Damon. So that's D-R-O-W-N, D-A-M-O-N. That's on mm-hmm. Twitter. Um, I'm really a- active on Instagram. Uh, Instagram's like my favorite new thing right now, as of uh, okay. spring of 2017. So you will catch original videos on there. Um, you'll catch some of my TED Talk stuff on there, and things of that nature. And then um, also fostering different communities to help bite size entrepreneurs. And so if you go to damonbrown.net, damonbrown.net, mm-hmm. you can check that out and see what I'm doing. I have some stuff on the horizon that's really exciting, but I can't quite talk about it yet. So definitely stay tuned there. Um, I also have a little newsletter that you can uh, you can join. Um, through DamonBrown.net. As soon as you get on there, then uh, you see a little link for it. And if i got exclusive stuff, it's coming to you. Um, And then uh, the Bite Size Entrepreneur series. There's uh, the Bite Size Entrepreneur, 21 Ways to Ignite Your Passion and Pursue Your Side Hustle. And then there's the follow-up, the Productive Bite Size Entrepreneur, 24 Smart Secrets to Do More in Less Time. And for the first one, it really is for people who – have an idea that they're passionate about, but they're not exactly sure how to get it done in their life, or they want to invest in something that's exciting, but they're trying to figure out what their passion is. So really for people who are are trying to figure out um, how to make something a reality, uh, the productive bite-sized entrepreneur is kind of that next level thing where you are already, you know, in the muck and you're already going through it and you're trying to find ways to do more in less time. And so, the first one, the Bite sized Entrepreneur, is more, um, more your vision and how you can create it. Uh, the Productive Bite sized Entrepreneur is more about your strategy and how you're going to implement it. And then there might be some, some, some new stuff happening on the horizon too in regards to that. And both of those books are available on Kindle and on paperback. I highly recommend the paperback because I, I love the design of it. And then the Bite Size Entrepreneur is actually available as an audiobook, And that's actually my first audiobook that was produced. And it has my voice in there too. So if you like my voice, it's all over that thing. And it's it's been a lot of fun. So those are those are the main things.
1: Wow, that again, thanks so much for being on the podcast, Damon. I, I really appreciate it and I'm sure the listeners appreciate it as well.
0: Yeah, thanks. And feel free to uh, yourself or anyone else there, feel free to drop me a line if I can give any insight as far as you go into the next level. Uh, the books and the Twitter stream and all that might be a good place to start, but if you need stuff on the next level, feel free to, to drop me a line. Thanks for having me, Neil.
1: You got it. You got it. Well, everybody, that that is the end of another episode of Neil Thompson Speaks. To learn more about me and Neil Thompson Speaks, please visit neilthompsonspeaks.com. To learn more about Damon, you can go to DamonBrown.net You'll find out more about me on my social media handles, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. There are links from my website to those social media platforms, as well as a link to this podcast episode. Until next time, please take care.